Hello, and welcome to the first episode of the Fully Charged Cast. I am here with my co-hosts and good friends, Brent Johnson and Hello. Joseph Solstice. Uh, it's Soltis. Soltis, yeah. I'm sorry. That's all right. So, yeah, Joe Soltis. Yep. Hello, how you doing? Solid start to our first podcast. Solid start. <laughs> I'll get it right one of these days. That's all right. So, we have, so what this podcast is about, it is going to be the most elite pop culture podcast in the Midwest. That's a and bold statement. It is a bold statement. Bold <laughs> statement from a bold guy. That's what I like to say. You are pretty bold, Matt. Appreciate appreciate the compliment. <laughs> so yeah, we're pretty much just here. We're an offshoot of the batteries fully charged website. So we're just gonna be the voice essentially of the website. We're just gonna talk about various things that are important to pop culture, important to us in particular. I'm a big fan of um a lot of nerd things and they're also a big fan of a lot of nerd things. So we decided to nerd together and put our voice on the internet. So that's essentially what we're going to do here. Yeah, for sure. And uh, we're actually recording this on the day that batteries fully charged went live. So it's kind of kind of an exciting day. I'm I'm all Ooh. I'm all hyped up on it right now. I'm pretty yeah. hyped as well. <laughs> yeah, the hype is real, man. The yeah. hype is real. Yeah, no, I, I I'm I'm really excited. It's 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 good to sit down and kind of have a conversation with you guys. It's uh, I know we talked a lot beforehand about how this is just a an extension of what we do on a daily basis anyway. I mean, the, 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 I, if we had even a fraction of the amount of hours we've spent together playing video games and Counter-Strike Siege, Counter-Strike Siege, geez, <laughs> <laughs> Rainbow Six Siege and uh, Battlefield and various other games like that, I mean, there's there's hundreds and hundreds of hours of conversation. It's, it's nice to finally, like, get this out there and, uh, you know, just make our voices heard. I think our most stimulating conversations have been in Gearbox's game Battleborn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean we played countless hours. Yeah, I can't so, even yeah, I so. can't even think about any typical highlight or any good highlight from the game. But we I just know it's great. It's <clears throat> great. We pretty much just play each other because nobody else is playing. Well, I mean that's true. You're right. <laughs> Yeah, they, they, weren't they just giving the game away for free? I want to say not that long ago, and it's it, that still didn't really spike I, numbers. I mean, yeah, I mean we're kind of we're kind of in the um, not in any topic, but yeah. Speaking of Battleborn, yeah, that's been like what a year now. It just that game should not have came out. Well, May of last year because Overwatch was just way. Yeah, I was, I was gonna say like we're already on an aside, so this is definitely gonna be a thing here, but. It was doomed from the beginning because of Overwatch. I mean, Overwatch having Blizzard behind it, I'm just convinced at this point that almost anything Blizzard touches turns to gold. I mean, mm -hmm. they could literally put out a steaming pile of crap and somehow manage to set... Like, like look at the mess that Diablo 3 was and how they've slowly and methodically changed it into this polished gem that it was now so it, it oh yeah what, whatever they do is just going to become gold i i just have learned to accept that well the thing oh, yeah. with, with diablo 3 is just like even when it was not good people still played it just because it was diablo 3 it was by the blizzard like i was one of those people that played countless hours playing it even though it was not a good game so yeah. i mean i i still tried to get through all the, like the hardest parts of the game even though they were almost impossible like 
you know, it was it was fun, even though it was bad, I guess you could say. Yeah, no, I, I'm 100% with you on that. It was, it, I, I played it despite itself for a good long time, and then as it continued to get better and better, then all of a sudden I was playing it because I was enjoying myself. It, it's... It's the weirdest thing. That that was a weird that that's a weird tale, the Diablo 3's tale. I th- I feel like we should probably talk about that at some point. Yeah, it's been like what when like the game it came out like uh 5 years ago. 5 years. 5 year anniversary of Diablo 3. Has it been 5 years? I think it came out this uh May of 2012, if I'm not mistaken. Jeez. <laughs> okay. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Wow. I remember staying up for it and um not being able to play. So, I was Good, good launch. Yep. That was a good time. Yep. Bought two box copies on that first day because that's just the kind of the dork I am, I guess. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's that's. We're, we're definitely gonna have to get, get into that at some point because there's a lot to say when it comes to Diablo three. Yeah, I, mean, I would love to talk about that at a, a later date, but that is that is not the focus of this episode today. So, what have what have you guys all been up to? What has your pop culture consumption been lately? Uh, I mean, for me, it's been a lot of video games. Video games, and I'm sure over the course of these podcasts, it's going to become painfully clear that that's my my primary hobby. Uh, been playing a lot of games. I, I'm starting to clear out that backlog from the last what three months of this year. This year has been. An, an incredible year for games and I'm not going to get too deep into it, but I, I you know, I just finished near automata wrote a piece and up, it's up on batteriesfullycharged.com about how I felt about that game. Uh, still trudging through persona five, just bought prey and kind of getting into that. So it, it's been a busy, it's been a busy year for games for me. Yeah, I guess for me, um, so I've just been watching a lot of Twitch lately for some reason. I've been actually staying more in tune with uh, this esports, like Counter-Strike in particular, uh, for some reason. I've just been watching probably hours of it countlessly and just kind of staying up with it and, you know, just kind of following that kind of thing. It's just like any other sport, I guess, just kind of, you know, getting hooked on it and just been paying attention, paying attention to it lately. And I have... I've been playing a lot of X-Wing lately, and I've been trying to do a little bit more reading, and my reading has consisted of catching up on all those Star Wars novels that I have amassed over the last couple (laughs) of years and just trying to get through them. Some of them are better than others. Yeah, so I, I some I, of it's a struggle. I, w- I went through that phase when I was when I was much younger, trying to read through those Star Wars novels, and like some of them are legitimately good. But I there were some that I I bought because you don't know, especially when you're young, pre-internet era, like you don't know yeah. what you're getting with a Star Wars book before you buy it. Yeah, yeah I, like... I I didn't have to do that, but. <laughs> <laughs> So our first topic today, um, speaking of me and X-Wing, we just got a new X-Wing world champion. Justin, I'm going to thank you. I am going to butcher his last name because he is from Singapore. <clears throat> Justin Fuau, congratulations to you for beating last year's world champion, Nan Torfs. It was it was an awesome game. I know you guys watched the last um, um, the last match. I watched it, and the match before that where Justin trounced um, Nick Bell. 
yeah, that that Jumpmaster list absolutely trounced Nick. And I I'm personally happy that Justin won because I hate K Wings with an absolute passion. And when he blew that K Wing up, nothing made my heart happier at that moment than just seeing that Miranda Donnie just explode <laughs> into the abyss of space. Yeah. So, and so fun story with this. We, uh, I know Joe and I actually watched the final match of X wing. Cause we were just waiting for that to end up before we started doing the podcast. And that was like our first, that was my first experience. And I, I don't, I can't speak for you, Joe. Have you seen any of this beforehand? Um, I watched a little bit when Matt was actually playing somewhere close by. I think he was playing in Wixom when they did a live stream of it on Twitch. I watched a little bit of that. But other than that, yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, this is probably one of my first times really watching it besides that point, too. And I didn't really get it when I first watched it. Like, I didn't really know what I was watching. So, yeah. So, like, the game is was super interesting. Let me start by that. Start by saying that. Like, it was it was crazy how precise everything was i mean people were legitimately like using rulers and and there were people to pick pieces up and place pieces down to to show movement like it was way more involved even even hearing you matt talk about how much you've been playing it like it was it was even more involved than i thought it was going to be yeah and those guys have been playing i when i was watching the stream that was their thirteenth game over the weekend. Like you have had, Jesus. and that that that's a lot of X Wing. Yeah. I played at a played at regionals in December, and I that was six games. And like I was I was just starting out, so I didn't do very good. But six games was still it, it was exhausting. I couldn't I couldn't imagine doing double. Which I mean, I guess that's why I'm not the world champion. But yeah, thirteen games, and those guys were still like they both deserved to be at the top table. Like it was just it was an awesome match. And I don't have, you know, Nan, Nan flew two ships that I absolutely hate with the passion, but he flew them really well. There's a, there's a few moments there where I thought he should have done something a little different, but like the announcer said at the beginning, like 13 games starts to wear on you. Yeah, and and just wa- watching it, I was amazed at, at everything that was going on with it. And... and I, I was hoping, Matt, you could, because again, even after you, you watch a high level match like that and you have no idea what's going on. Yeah. I, like, how does, how does, what is the basic gist of this game? Like, like, how do you play this game? Okay. So, X Wing Miniatures is essentially plastic spaceships from the Star Wars universe that you fly around with maneuver templates on a three by three play mat. And each person brings three asteroids or obstacles and you place them on the board and you fly your ships around and try to essentially blow the other ships up. I mean, that there's more to it than that, but that is, that is the general gist of the game. Each player brings a hundred points of a squad. So example, Dengar in Justin's build, Dengar as a ship is 33 points. And with upgrades, his Dengar comes out to 58 points. And then his other jump master starts out at a base of 30 points. And then with all his upgrades, comes out to 40. So Justin has 98 points out of 100 points. With various upgrades and everything. And 100 points is the max in the tournament level. You can go below that, 
the lowest I've seen in a long time has been 97. And when you go that low, you're generally trying to get an initiative bid with your high-level aces. So if two nines go up against each other, whoever has an initiative moves first. So high-level nines I can think of that you guys would recognize. Darth Vader's a pilot skill nine, and Han Solo's a pilot skill nine. Darth Vader is going to want to give initiative to Han Solo so that way Han Solo can move. And then after Han Solo moves, Darth Vader can move and then react to where Han Solo went to barrel roll and then boost to get out of Han Solo's firing arc, if that makes any sense. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, like, I, I kind of understand. And, and I... I, I do encourage anyone who's just listening to this and is like, what? Like, like go check it out. The, the, the game is, is super interesting to watch. Cause again, there, there's so many, and, and just from this one match that I saw and granted, this is, you know, this is like watching the Super Bowl when I've never, if I've never watched a game of football in my life, I'd be sitting there like, what the hell is going on? Um, I, it was really interesting to see, how like like how how precise every move was and that that's you're getting into like the numbers game of it and, and yeah. i'm sure that's like a really deep meta to 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 the game it, it's even taking all of that aside just just seeing it from a top level view like where i'm showed where i'm sure joe and i were it, yeah. it was just it, it was so interesting to see where where every where all the pieces fit and how they moved and you could even kind of see a little bit of strategy with a lot of it too. Yeah. So Matt, I have a question for you. So like if I was someone who wanted to get into X Wings, like what would be the best resources for me to get into it? And also like where would be some good places for me to start out? So um I kind of I got per me personally, I just went out and bought as much stuff as I could. That was probably not the best idea, but I went in with the I went in with the firm. I wanted to roll as Imperials. Like this was this was what I wanted to do. I wanted to roll as Imperials. There's three factions, but if you're first starting out, I really recommend you stick to either Rebels or Imperials. There's also Scum, but they have they have a lot of high level play going on. There's a lot of different variables as far as the cards go that I would I would recommend waiting for Scum until you're a little bit more advanced but you can go ffg they um on their website they they have um they have a few articles on there about getting into x-wing on a budget so they had the runner-up from worlds last year he wrote an article about if you want to get into x-wing for a hundred bucks with the rebels and you want to play competitively these are some things you can buy to you know keep it at a kind of kind of a nice cost but also you have a pretty decent competitive list, which I like it when they put stuff like that up. Yeah. So you, can go, you can go on there. There's um, pretty much anywhere in the country you can go. There's probably an X-Wing Facebook group you can go on if you really are thinking about getting into the game. The X-Wing community overall is great. They're always welcoming of new players, and they're just like, hey, I want to get into the game. Just just ask other fellow players out there what um, – to just pick their brains about what you would uh, – what you would like to get into yeah and and joe i know i know you were kind of saying this too as we were watching the stream that stream of of x-wing was the tamest twitch stream i've ever seen nobody as far as the comments yeah, yeah as yeah, far as comments as far as comments yeah for sure respectful which is incredible like even in my short time streaming 
the the weird nonsense that comes up is is just incredible and and the restraint that so many people had online was was pretty was pretty great it's it's interesting to me with with x-wing you know you you say you can get a a, a decent x-wing group uh like build together for about a hundred bucks and i i've i've come from hobbyist games like magic the gathering and i i even way back when i played uh warhammer and uh, like hero clicks, things like that. It, mm-hmm. It's th- there's so many of these games that have such a high ceiling for money. About how you have to you have to spend this amount of money to be able to play competitively in some way. And yeah. I, I like Magic: The Gathering, which is a game I really do love. It just eludes me because I I don't have the drive to spend that much money to to play. I I, I it, it feels like you're you know pay to play at a to yeah. a to a certain level. Yeah, I mean, I always had that feeling with Magic. It just seems like, you know, is whoever had the most money tends to have, like, the best decks or, you know, being able to easily win a tournament. It just seems like whoever has the money wins. And, you know, that makes some tournament play unfortunate, you know, for people that want to get into it. Which, unfortunately, Fantasy Flight has delved into the the card game thing with star wars destiny which is essentially magic the gathering with star wars characters but okay i have i have restrained myself <laughs> from buying that probably for the best i mean I'll, it I, is for the <laughs> best. I'm like, I'll, I'll sink my money into x-wing instead so so like the 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 builds that i saw and just since we're on the topic of money i'm just kind of curious now the the builds that we saw in the final tables like like how much how much would those builds cost you if you wanted everything, yes. That, um, okay. I mean, so approximate. Two, you don't. I, I'm not expecting yeah. like a full. Yeah, breakdown, it doesn't be exact, <laughs> obviously. Like two jump masters by themselves is about thirty bucks, and everything else, you're probably spending. I think if, if you want to run the world champion list. You're probably going to spend thirty, thirty, ninety. You're probably going to spend about one fifty. If you, if you between one one thirty and one fifty, if you want to run two jump masters the way Justin decked them out, it'll be it'll be about that price. That's that's MSRP. You yeah. can you can of course there's a buy and sell site that I'm on on Facebook that you could be like willing to buy insert and someone will probably be like PM'd and they'll sell it to you. So, but if you want to get an MSRP. And support your friendly local game store. It costs you about 150 bucks, which I do recommend, by the way. That's, I mean, that seems very reasonable for like an entry point of a game. Like even going to like 150. If you're passionate about a game and want like some type of setup that you think will actually get you to a point where you could win, like that's not a bad entry point, in my opinion. Nope, not at all. I mean, look at the look at the current uh, video game landscape. If you're playing competitively, you're probably, I mean, you're buying the game that you're playing for probably about sixty dollars. If you're buying it when it comes out, yep. you're, you're buying a headset and going through headsets more than likely. Um, if you if you're playing on like Xbox, you need a specialized controller. I mean, you're you're easily spending that amount of money on anything else so i that that just seems that that that's i'm actually really shocked to hear how reasonable the price is to get into x-wing are yep and you'll 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 need a core set as well but that's assuming you already had the core set and how much is a core set just out of curiosity about there's two different core sets there's the original trilogy core set that came out about 
almost five years ago at this point, which is your tip, your standard X-Wing and TIE Fighter. Then they had the Force Awakens corset to take advantage of the Force Awakens, and each of those separately are about 40 bucks. So if you want to get a you want to get one X-wing and two tie fighters and everything you need to get started 40 bucks. And I guess on that same note too with Magic the Gathering cuz again we're this is this is the realm of that I understand. Magic has always had a one of the cost prohibitive things about Magic the Gathering is the fact that uh they release new sets and then you have to buy the new cards and then some of the old cards are no longer uh well, it used to be Type 2. I believe it's called Standard now. Yeah. Do they do that with X-Wing as well, where some of the older ships or cards will roll out of the tournament scene? There, yeah. Like, like, like any game, there's a certain meta that develops over time, and FFG, FAQs certain cards to, like, if a certain card is completely or a certain card or a certain ship is completely dominating the landscape they'll be like yeah we can't just have like it's not healthy for a game community to have just one list be the win list so they pretty much they bring the ban hammer down not ban hammer necessarily but they they errata stuff they fix things which normally i'm fine with because it's but no but no but there are there are cards there are metas that were viable in years past that are currently not viable in the tournament scene but they they still see play in like casual play if you're just hanging out with your friends but there's not like a point where like let, let, let's say when the last jedi comes out they're going to release some kind of the last jedi uh, yeah i'm sure they will pack but is that going to mean like some of their older ones are going to cycle out of tournament play no, because like like okay. the world's list right now, um, Nan's had Biggs Darklighter, and Biggs is from the original corset. Like he's he's an OG X-wing, and <laughs> he he was runner up at Worlds. And R two D two is a really good card, lets you regen your shields. Like he still sees competitive play. So there's certain things that are not like, like the Tie Swarm. Unfortunately, like I was telling you guys earlier, with eight Tie Fighters just launching at you is unfortunately not as viable, but there, there's still stuff from the older stuff that you can still run and have fun with. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's that, that's all really interesting. Again, like that was that was my first time watching uh, the game played in any capacity. So, it you know, having come from Warhammer, I kind of understood un- understood a lot of it to an extent. But of course, when you started getting into the there's so many dice rolls that were happening that I wasn't quite. Yeah. I, I didn't understand the nuts and bolts so much as just the the overall game itself. I was, you know, you can kind of follow watching the ships move around. Yeah. Well, now you know what I do on Thursday nights. <laughs> yeah, if we we can stop giving you crap now. When all of a sudden you won't <laughs> hop on and play games with us, we know what's going on. Sorry. Yeah, it's, it's getting pretty crazy for you on Thursdays. That's all we know. So. <laughs> it is. It is pretty crazy. And I have to yeah. say, I have to say too, like there, by the end of that tournament, I mean there there was easily, and we can only see you know maybe half of the table. There there were probably 50, 60 people standing around the table watching. Like like oh, yeah. how how many people were at this thing? The, like the two finalists were from you said Singapore and Belgium. Sweet. Was, was so, it, yeah, Belgium. Yeah. yeah, I don't know why I keep thinking he comes from Sweden. 
The only... <laughs> no, he's the, from Belgium. The only reason yeah. I remember is there was a really bad joke that one of the announcers made during that stream about... Uh, the oh, languages they speak in Belgium. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was it. <laughs> and it was a that was a really bad joke too. Yeah, it was a bad joke, and it was just really sad of him because he said he's been to Brussels recently and stuff like that too. It's just like wow, like you, know, you just kind of kind of just outed yourself a bit. Um, you, yeah, <laughs> don't even know the language. Uh, gosh, how many were people were there? I'm gonna ch I'm gonna check real quick. I think there are a lot, and like anybody can go to Worlds. You just have to. You have well, to pay to get in. You said you went to regionals, so like, do you have to go to regionals and qualify to go to worlds? No, no, no. Any but the, the 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 point of um the point of regionals is, if you get first place in regionals, you get a first round buy at worlds. So you get a f automatic hundred point win, which is nice. It helps. It helps with your um, MOV and um with your win record. Okay. Do they also pay for any type of uh, trips or expenses for you to go to our worlds, or is um, that if not... you are the I I looked this up today, if so, Justin, the new world champion, he will get um, all expenses paid to come to worlds next year. Okay, so the world champion gets to go for free. Okay, which so... from from Singapore, I'm sure FFG is going to love paying that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How long have these? Easy. How long have these worlds been going on for? At least since two thousand fourteen. Okay, so it, it is still fairly recent. I'm just, I guess I'm wondering if this is like a kind of a burgeoning scene. Like, is this something that's like like really coming along? Or I, you know, I think I think it's getting bigger every year. And I mean, I want to get as big as as big as I can because the more people that are playing. The better I'm gonna get, which like I'm always trying to get better, so I'm always trying to find new players who will beat me, whether I'm happy about it or not. So that way I can get better. But it's getting to be like, I mean, X-wing is a it's a big deal for FFG. They release new ship waves at least at least once a year. There's a new ship wave. Sometimes we'll get two a year, and I think we're gonna we're gonna get two this year. We just had a new wave release in March, and then we're getting a new one coming out probably by August. That's really cool, and I, I I do like how it seems that so many of these of these hobbyist games are are, are continuing to gain popularity. I, I feel like in the last few years, um, board games have seen like a huge resurgence, um, and that's paved the way for things like Magic the Gathering, which has always been incredibly popular. But yeah, um, just to continue to build on that, and now you've got. Uh, even these kind of smaller scenes that may have developed in local game stores kind of finding their own with things like Twitch. It's, it's really great to see. Um, it's, it's, it's great to see these games not ex only exist, but to continue to grow on their own. I'm right. I'm right there with you. Cause it's, it's something I, it's so weird. Cause um, one of the guys we collaborate with on the website, Frank, he's had, he's had X-Wing for a long time as as long for a while and it, it was just, just never something i was personally interested in playing with him and now i regret like never playing it with him because it was just i got a bunch of birthday money in october and i'm just i don't know what it was but something just like i'm just gonna buy x-wing stuff with my birthday money and i just bought i just went crazy on x-wing stuff and now like it's it's how I spend most of my free time if I'm not spending time with my family or playing games with you. I'm pretty much trying to be like on Facebook, like 
want to get a game of X-Wing in. <laughs> so it, it's fun. It's addictive. And the more people that get into it, I think it, it's better for the community. That's great, man. Yeah, 100%. No, I, I'm, I'm, definitely, I'm definitely down with it. And that might be something in the future here at some point that I start looking into. Because the game did look really interesting. It's just I, I would have to kind of put some feelers out and see if that community exists around where I'm from anyway. So I'm I'm sure I'm sure in Wisconsin. Yeah. I was They're... thinking cuz they cuz we're in we're in store championship season now. Like now that world is over with, we have we have store championships until the next regional. So there's actually a store championship uh, up in Marquette. Well, it's not so far away. Yeah, that I'm going to I might I'm going to try to go to we're gonna we're gonna see how that goes. You're gonna venture all the way up to the Upper Peninsula. It's yeah, it might. Like a trek, man. It is. It's gonna be a trek, but we're gonna see how it goes. It depends on how travel accommodations go. My father wants to go up to Marquette this summer, so I might just piggyback up there with him if it's a uh, say like, hey, you should go this weekend. There you go. There's no motive for that. Just you know, just go open this weekend. I'll come with you. I might be gone for a while, you know. But... No, he he already knows why I want to <laughs> get back up there with him. And yeah. he's like, he's like, as long as we go, as long as you buy me a beer or two, we can go. I'm like, okay, I can do, I can deal with that. Yeah. So, Joe, what is it? What is it you wanted to discuss with us today? So, um, I just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about just kind of, uh, kind of like bring your own computer competitions. Um, just so, just kind of. Um, a little bit of backstory just on it. Like I just re- recently went to one. I went to DreamHack Austin, which was a good time. I went to. I brought a computer down to Austin, Texas, and competed in a tournament. And it was actually like a kind of like a free for all one. So like anyone was allowed to compete in it. And so you didn't matter age or anything like that. And so I had a chance to play Counter Strike um, Global Offensive there. And I just saw something recently when I was kind of like reading. Um, I think it was Kotaku actually. Uh, they had an article about. Uh, DreamHack, um, they're going to be having a competition in Sweden uh, coming up, I think, in June. And that they're actually going to make it so that there's going to be age restriction like tournaments. So there's going to be one that's going to be an over 30 tournament, which is going to be called the Senior Tournament. And then there's going to be there's like a free-for-all one where anyone could be in it, so it doesn't matter about age or gender. And then there's also going to be a female one as well, um, which is that's actually more typical. Um, that tends to be a thing. But I just kind of like want to throw that out to, there to you guys when it comes to, you know, esports or just tournaments, whether it's uh, tabletop games or just gaming in general. Like, do you think, um, you know, age like restricted tournaments make sense? Like, what are you guys thoughts on that? That's... And then I'll kind of I kind of will tell you guys my thoughts after I hear what you guys have to say. Yeah, that's super interesting. I Now, I, I, I saw that same article, so I kind of knew what, what you were talking about going in. What's strange to me is I didn't realize that there was also gendered tournaments. Yeah, so that's pretty typical, like when at least in the professional scene, um, because they do like a lot of showcase matches for, uh, like at least for Counter Strike, they do a lot of um, female centric um, show matches. So that's for about thirty thousand dollars sometimes, or even more. Um, and it's usually played alongside certain tournaments on the same stage as the majors and stuff like that. And so it's just a way for to showcase, you know, female players. And, you know, there's been some, like, you know, certain critics on both sides kind of talking about if that's good or bad. Um, but obviously, you know, they exist right now and that's what it is. And so, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting how certain things are set up when it comes to tournaments like that. Yeah, and I don't want to get too far off into the gender politics 
portion of that. It's I I guess that was just real. I I didn't realize that that was a thing. Um, yeah, that kind of that that just kind of blows my mind. Now now, yeah, all tournaments aren't that way, right? Like I mean, there there are tournaments that are just co-ed. You know, whoever is the best of the bunch wins the match. You know, regardless of age, gender, nationality, whatever the case may be. Yeah, so that's usually the way it usually is. Like most tournaments, like even like let's say you talk about a like a major tournament, let's say in Counter Strike Go, for example. Yeah. Um, you like a female could compete on a top tier team easily. Like there's no restrictions for them. It's just that there is also that okay. uh, where it's all female squads. So there is no restrictions for anyone to play in the professional scene. I mean, except for age. Like you can't be like 14 sometimes like it just depends on the organizer like sometimes they don't let people that are younger play in certain tournaments just because of certain rules and regulations of that country or organizer or however they do it because that's happened recently as well where you know like a 14 or 15 year old wasn't allowed to play for whatever reason i didn't i'm not really sure the specifics on that but you know usually there's no restrictions okay i i i and I guess I at least understand the the age portion of it when it comes to being underage, because there's some kind of ticky tacky things there. I I I can at least understand that. Yeah. But it, it, yeah, I guess it's good to hear that. You know, if there was a Counter Strike uh, major, for example, that it, you you can be who whomever doing whatever, and that that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, that was just it's interesting. Not- yeah, I mean it's it's inclusive. It's just, um, I mean, honestly, when it comes to esports right now, you don't see a lot of uh, female pros. It's just, I mean, it's just the way it's kind of broken down. And I mean, we, I mean, that's a whole another topic. Um, oh, for but, sure. But yeah, I mean, right now you just don't see a lot of uh, female esports pros. I mean, except for teams that are specifically female only. Hmm. But is, when it comes to the the actual age portion of it, um, I, I do have to say. Like I, I don't feel like there should should be the restriction per se. I do understand, and it's the same thing when it comes to you know, when I first heard this. That my my mind went to golf for whatever particular reason, because they do have the senior tour and they have the regular tour. Be- and like that's like as you get older, of course, your 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 muscles did you know can can start to degenerate, and and they're there's a, a physical limit to that, and I, and I, I want to say I heard this from you, Joe. So don't quote me on this, but like typically, it's the younger players with the faster reflexes that are at kind of at the the head of the scene, right? I mean, that's usually typical. I mean, there are teams that I could kind of like that one off. Like, there's a team called Brutus Pro. They have actually they have people on the team that are like 30, 31, and that's usually like the that's the high end. Like when it comes to age, like usually you're out of the scene by that point. I mean, unless you have the backing or the time to be able to, you know, be good at it. I mean, there's even people on that team that have families, they have kids, and they find a way to still be top. Like they're one of the top teams in the world when it comes to Counter-Strike. And they still find a way to balance their family. And, um, you know, it's just like any other sport, I guess, you know, like any other professional sport. They found a way to do that, which is pretty rare when it comes to esports just for the fact that, you know, it's so new. Yeah, I mean that's uh, it, it's it's interesting with 
I, I what what's what's strange to me and me myself being 31 hearing that the the because they they called it the senior league right like that's i yeah so it's called a senior tournament so it's like anyone <laughs> over the age of 30 is it's... part of the senior tournament which is kind of weird too i mean I, the <laughs> thing is i don't even know like i was reading the rules and like i'm 30 and so i don't even know if i'm even allowed to play in it yet because i said over 30 it didn't say 30 and up so technically i don't know if i could even play in it because i guess i might be just one year too young or whatever. Oh, I, thought, but... I thought you were 35. Oh, you know. <laughs> I mean, I get that. That's a very uh, common misconception for me. So are you, are you going to Sweden is what I'm hearing? Uh, no, I'm not. Uh, oh. I will not be going to Sweden. But, I mean, Matt, like, what are your thoughts when it comes to, like, age restrictions for tournaments, like, whether it be for gaming or tabletop gaming? Like, what do you think about that? Uh I don't have, like, super strong opinions about it one way or another. I didn't honestly know about this until you brought it up today. But, like like Brent said, I think there is, like, I mean, your reflexes go down as you get older. But at the same, at the same time, I do think it's kind of condescend. Not, I don't think condescend is the word I want to use. But I just I just think everybody should have an equal playing field where everybody can participate in the same tournament regardless of age and gender. And it's just like the best person can win. Because, I mean, you can be good. You can be good at anything no matter what your age is. I, I don't know. Like I said, I don't have super strong opinions about it. It's not something I'm as caught up on as you. But that's just how I, I think about it. And if you have if you have a different opinion, I would I'll gladly hear you out on it. Yeah, for sure. Well, I guess I'll, I can talk a little bit more about how I feel about it. So, I mean, I I was just playing like just a few like a week ago actually at a you know at a tournament for DreamHack, and I mean it was free for all, so like pretty much any age or anybody could play. And I'll say like on my team, I was actually the old, oldest person on my team. Like I'll say that right now, and I didn't play the best out of all of them either, just because I just don't put in the same amount of time as them. And so I think that's where it comes to, like when it comes to, I think there could be tournaments that are maybe set for people that might be a tad older just for the fact that they don't have the time to practice, they don't have the time to commit to it as much, but they still want to do maybe a competitive atmosphere for it, so I can see where that goes from. But if it's for like a prize pool of money, I think like a older league should maybe only have a smaller prize pool because obviously it won't be the best of the best, so not everyone is, as, is able to play. And like the free for all one should at least be equal to that older tournament or greater and greater than for the prize pool. So I mean, if it comes into money, like I think the free for all tournament should have a bigger prize pool, and whoever you know comes out on top should be able to get more money from it, just for the fact that you actually have the opportunity to play against you know top two players. And and to kind of liken this to sports again, because I mean esports and you know traditional sports do have very similar uh just they're built very similarly it i i kind of get the idea that that these leagues that may be like a um a a females league uh a, a senior league um come across to me very much like a to use an analogy with baseball like a triple a AAA team or a double a team it's like you're, you're still playing competitively at a high level but it, it a lot like you just said, Joe. Where in in an unrestricted environment, these are the best of the best, and it doesn't matter if if they're 
you know, 67 years old and female and, you know, whatever. It, as long as the best of the best are all competing and, and that's not separated in any way, that doesn't bother me. Um, and if, if you take – because a lot like you say, the older older generation people, unless unless esports is your life and that is what you do – then you don't have to worry about it because you can be 35, 40 years old. If you're playing competitively and you're playing at the top of your game, you're you're in that upper echelon and it, and it doesn't affect you at that point. If you're someone like me or like you, Joe, who, who try to play competitively, but you also have a, a full-time job and you have to, you know, you do have to do all those other things. You have a family like, like you do, Matt. Um, it, it makes sense to still have an option that's competitive but doesn't necessarily put you in an unequal. You're you're on more equal footing when when you're in a match like that. Yeah, I totally agree with that, and I think I think those type of tournaments are useful for that. So, like, if you don't have like the same you know opportunity to be good at something, but yet you still want to be competitive, like you're still good, but you might not be able to put the same amount of hours in like 20, 30 hours a week into a game, which is crazy if you think about it, just because, you know, if you work 40 hours a week plus have a family, and then plus having to put 20 to 30 hours to learn like ways to do certain things in the game and just mechanics or just being good at the game in general, like most people don't have the time for that. Especially when it's not even a source of income; it's just free time. Yeah, and so. even even team practice. Like I, I, there was a, there was probably like a two or three month period where I, I was, I don't want to say training. That makes it sound like I was this like really structured thing. But I had a group of two other guys that I was playing Rocket League with as Rocket League was really starting to to, to take off in a competitive level. And we we played in we did play in some tournaments. Um, they weren't like destination tournaments it was just online but we were playing against people who have made money playing rocket league so i mean they they were legitimate tournaments and it, it was that same thing you know i was i was working 40 hours a week i at the time i was uh making youtube content and i was also trying to train for this thing it's like i had no time i i i every minute of my day was structured and and that's just and that didn't even put me at a level where I was able to compete with these other people in the tournament. You know, at best we would be out round two out of five. You know, like yeah, it, it's hard to it's hard to compete when when some of these people, the the top level players, are putting forty plus hours a week with a team, let alone by themselves. Yeah, I mean, even when I had the chance to compete in the land and also i mean i compete online still too for counter-strike and i can tell you that you can tell the difference between a team that maybe just practices maybe five hours a week or something like that compared to a team that maybe practices almost 40 hours a week amongst themselves plus you know put extra time in and those teams tend to have like 17 year olds or whatever who only have to deal with high school and that's all they have to worry about and so i mean they definitely have a advantage on anybody who might have to have a career and a family and also do these and also try to compete at the same level at them. I mean, I, it's just insane, like the skill gap when it comes to like a lot of competitive games and, you know, it's just really hard to bridge that, especially if you don't have the time or opportunity to do it. Yeah. And I, I, I remember the amount of free time I had when I was in high school to dedicate to things like Final Fantasy 11, which <laughs> are, are, are hours and days of my life I'll never have back. 
Yeah. You had fun though, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, and and I don't want to make it sound like like I regret my teens because I played Final <laughs> Fantasy Eleven. Like yeah. I I had a legit amount of fun, and we did have land parties, and it was great. So like I yeah I I don't regret it. It's just you look back and it's like boy I was able to just spend seventy hours a week playing this game, and that was no big deal because I had no other you know commitments I had to worry about. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I felt the same way in high school, too. Like, pretty much just when I got out of school, I would just go straight home, turn on my computer, and just start playing, like, Counter-Strike or whatever game I wanted to play. And just, that's all I did just when I got out of school. So, I mean, it's just really, you know, intense on that part. Um, but, yeah, um, Brent, you know, what topics do you have for today? Well, I am I wanted to kind of end the show with something a little, little fun. Um, we are... Geez, uh, approximately a month now at this point away from E3 2017. Uh, and I just kind of wanted to get some ideas like E3 predictions. I know E3 is like, is, is kind of, it's almost a holiday for me. I, I legitimately take time off of work. Um, not you. <laughs> yeah, not me. Right? <laughs> yeah, the, the guy who made a bunch of E3 videos last year surrounding, yeah. No, that that's for the for the last five years or so. I, I legitimately take time for E three. Like I sit down, I watch it, I absorb it, I watch the conferences, I get involved in conversations. Like E three is just kind of the culmination of uh, uh, that's like when when video games are at the forefront of conversation, and this is when they're making new announcements and to, like not like new announcements and hype and things like that. I am a I am a terrible sucker for. I'm I'm just gonna throw that out there. So. Um, I just like to, every, every year I try to get some ideas like, like, like what are some E3 predictions that you guys have? Um, I, I can kind of start off. Of course, I had thought of the subject, so I, 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 I'm a little more prepared than maybe you guys are. Um, but I had five E3 predictions that I kind of wanted to go over. Um, so I'll just go right down my list here. So number one, uh, and this is this is probably a not so much a prediction as an inevitability here, but um, Microsoft. Microsoft is going to be talking about Scorpio this year. Uh, what interests me about this more than anything is its messaging, and is this going to be the advent of Microsoft's new console generation, or given the way that that game consoles are built nowadays? is there ever going to be another one of those like new generations or are they just going to iterate on these things for the rest of time? I guess like, what do you, what do you guys think about that? I, I don't know. It's not something I've honestly thought a lot about, but I think as far as Xbox goes, I don't think there's a lot of incentive there to, I think in that regard, the calling it the Xbox One kind of was a, was beneficial to them because then they can kind of just like upgrade the Xbox One as opposed to the PlayStation 4 because you have the PlayStation 4, then you have the PlayStation 4 Pro. Like where do you go from the PlayStation 4 Pro? You might as well call the next iteration of that the PlayStation 5. So I think there's more – I think it's in PlayStation's Sony's court to go up the next console generation where – Xbox can just essentially just be like, no, this is just a, a better version of the Xbox One that you've loved. That's kind of how I feel. I just don't know what there's a lot. What what else they can do with these systems to make them? Yeah, and to, 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 to justify like what what is there to justify a PlayStation Five? 
And I don't think you're ever going to see another huge jump. You're you're never going to see a Super Nintendo to Nintendo 64 or a PlayStation 1 to PlayStation 2. Like no, those days are gone. Yeah, though like like now you're getting better frame rates, you're getting higher resolution and you're getting sharper, you know, sharper images essentially. Like it mm-hmm. not to go to sharper image, I guess, but um, <laughs> you're you're just getting you're Shit you're getting a cleaner picture, I guess, is what where I'm going with that. I mean, and, you're getting some you're getting really good fish AI this generation. Yeah, I mean, fish AI continues to become just just as prevalent <laughs> as ever. What what what's and and what's what's crazy to me is is especially when it comes to Microsoft, this console generation is, and I. I never would have guessed at the beginning when the PlayStation Four and Xbox One were coming out that the divide was going to be so heavily weighted towards PlayStation. Do you have numbers for us, Brent? Like, I don't. How ha- how, how is PlayStation doing? I I know that they are are absolutely. It's, it's really it's it's like almost like the Grand Canyon. It it, length. it was it, at one point it was three to one. I think it's closer to two to one. That gap might have even closed a little bit since then. But yeah, I, I think it I, closed I, a bit. Just because they've been doing sales more often and stuff like that, and they've been pushing their system more, so I mean, I think that's helped them a bit. Um, just because you can, there was a point where Xbox One was actually a cheaper entry point than getting a PlayStation Four for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So, Which I mean, what incentive has PlayStation had to make getting the system accessible? That and and they that's did so well at the start. That's exactly yeah. kind of where I keep coming back with this too. Is like. I never saw, I never anticipated a gap like this, but like now we're we're in a world where Microsoft is kind of grasping at straws to to catch up and become dominant. Like they last E3 was so confusing to me because Microsoft's message is go out and buy an Xbox One right now, and then you'll have you'll have good games eventually, and then in six months. You can go out and buy an Xbox One S, which is going to give you up-resed 4K and um, a 4K Blu-ray player. But you can also play these same games right now on your computer, so you really don't even need an Xbox One. But and then don't after, worry, the but, Scorpio's coming out next yeah, year. Exactly, exactly. So it's like, what was their message? When, when is the best time to buy an Xbox One? Because you're telling me to buy an Xbox One today... And then in th- three to six months, buy an Xbox One S. But in between that time, maybe just buy a gaming PC because all of Xbox's titles are going to be released to that. And then a year from now, go buy an Xbox One Scorpio. It's like Microsoft just just doesn't have a clear image as to what their game plan is. Like that's the feeling I have from from watching them. And as much as I appreciate this Scorpio, like install base is going to be is going to be such an important thing here. Like. Sony still has the install base. Like, they still have the greater group. And, and I keep saying this. Graphics have never, ever been the thing that makes or breaks a system. I mean, if you just look at history, I mean, you could see the Dreamcast was ahead of the curve for a bit. And, I mean, a few other systems. And, I mean, it just... I mean, the Sega was always trying to be ahead of that. And it never helped them. Yeah. So... I mean, look at the I Sega mean, CD. Graphic- yeah, I mean, graphics aren't how you sell a system. I mean, and just to get to the point of, like, Microsoft's messaging, I mean, it's just disorganized, I mean, to say the least. But at the same time, 
I mean, the good thing about Microsoft is that they have fallbacks, like where they have Windows, for example, and they're going to be capturing the gaming PC market that's supposed to be exploding in the next five years. So at least they have that going for them. And so they can be a little bit more disorganized with the messaging just for the fact that they already have the install base with the uh, gaming PCs. Yeah, I mean, this definitely isn't a make-or-break thing. Like, if Xbox ultimately fails, Microsoft is fine, yeah. whereas Sony has a, more eggs in that basket because I know right now... Uh, I mean, Sony as a company is not doing well. <laughs> yeah, like, their, their PlayStation division is really what's kept them afloat for the most part. Yeah. Yeah, so that I mean that was that was definitely one of the things I was looking at. Um, and if you guys don't have anything else with Scorpio, I. I mean, I, I actually have a question about it. Um, yeah. Has there been any announcement of doing VR development for Xbox Ones or Scorpio? Because I actually haven't been as much in a loop on that. I guess. Yeah. So they they keep dropping the the phrase VR compatible. Okay. But. What does that actually mean? Like, like with what headset? You know, it it seems <laughs> it, it seems the most likely that they would go to the Oculus because I know Oculus did uh, group up with Microsoft. The the uh, Xbox One controllers are usable with uh, Oculus headsets. Yeah. So I, I mean, that's the most likely partnership. I I don't foresee the Vive getting involved, and obviously PlayStation is PlayStation. That would be silly. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, like they they did kind of drop that the they, they keep dropping the vr compatible but they don't say anything about what that means so you know until until they give any hard information it's really hard to say what that is and didn't that thing uh was two years ago they played what was that thing they played minecraft with where what oh, was that um where, where, what's going on with that i thought that was oh i thought goodness. that looked really cool I thought that was supposed to be released by now. Or yeah, that's, that's what my thing too. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's the thing. Microsoft is what that always was. is always promising, like, "Hey, buy our system. The games are going to be here in the future. We don't know when they'll be here, but they'll be here eventually." It's just like you're not giving me a whole lot of consumer confidence to get your product. Yeah, and that's that's the the conversation I've been having with one of my buddies at work. He owns an Xbox, and he's literally watched me. And this calendar year, he's watched me go by um, Horizon. He's watched me go by Near. He's watched me go by Persona. He's watched me go by Neo. And it's like this whole time. I don't remember the last the last first party Microsoft game I went out and purchased was Quantum Break, which was yeah, over mid- a year ago. Yeah, middle of last year. Yeah. But, like that's just not acceptable. And I, I know Gears of War recently came out and that that's never been my thing, so I understand that's that's a game that Microsoft fans got that I did not. But yeah. it, it's those those second party and and first party games that, that Microsoft just doesn't seem to to close. And and what blows my mind too is I've been talking for literally two or three years now about um I've been talking about Below, which is an indie game from, I, I believe it's Capybara Games, coming out suppo- supposedly for Xbox One, but that's been vaporware for years now. Uh, Cuphead, which is that like old-timey Steamboat Willie animation-style indie game from um, Studio MDR, I think they're called. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's like all these games that they keep tantalizing you with and then just never materialize. Yeah, like where's that awesome pirate game from Rare? That looks really fun. 
that's supposed to be this year from what I hear, but I mean, I, I, I maybe that's something we see that this year is like a release date out of E3 at, at the Microsoft conference. But yeah, so, I mean, that's my first, I mean, the first expectation is Scorpio is going to rule the Microsoft press event. Uh, I'm sure you're going to see maybe one or two announcements as, you know, exclusive to Project Scorpio. Um, so number two, uh, I'm expecting there to be a Nintendo Direct, um, of course, because Nintendo doesn't like to get involved with the conference itself. They feel like their brand can stand without needing the conference, which I guess I don't super understand, but it, they, they've done well by those Nintendo Directs during E3 for the last few years. Um, I know they've kind of made a roadmap for the Nintendo Switch over the past, uh, for, for what to expect this year. But what I would really like to see them do, and what I think they're going to do this year, is you're going to get, um, you're you're going to get one major first party announcement. And I think that's going to be Pokemon. I think you're going to get a main title Pokemon game on the Switch. Very cool. That's which pretty big. Which is something that I, I I've been saying for the whole time that they announced the Switch is like let's. Axe the 3DS. I know the 3DS is still making money and still very profitable for them, but this is such a great opportunity for Nintendo to take a huge leap forward by unifying under one console and then bringing the experiences that we were getting for the for the Wii U, getting the experiences we were getting for the 3DS, and bring them all onto the Switch and having the steady stream of just incredible games over the next three or four years as as long as the switch remains relevant i i mean pokemon would be a great step to show that that's what they want to do and i feel like for them to drop that at and during a nintendo direct at e3 would, would just be it, it would really it would really prove to consumers really that nintendo is is listening and they they want their console to be at the table with with the PlayStation and Xbox when it comes to you know who's the king of the generation kind of thing. Yeah, because they've been they've been kind of sitting it out the last uh, three generations. Yeah, I mean, really, the the GameCube did well, but ultimately wasn't able to compete in any meaningful way against the the Xbox or the PlayStation Two. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing for the Switch, too, is just making sure they get those uh, third-party developers on your side again. I mean, they're still making stuff with 3DS, but, I mean, when it comes to the main console, that was their biggest issue for the Wii U. So it's just getting them back on board, which it seems like they're doing a good job on that, too. So that'll help it at least do better than their previous consoles. So Yeah, no, I, I, think, I think the key to Nintendo's victory right now is not not only releasing first party titles cuz they've always been really good at that but yeah. but getting getting in bed with third party and i think the i i think the the right steps to do that is with that nindy program that they talked about now are you guys familiar with the nindies at all i'm going to no. assume it has to do with it's a merging of nintendo and indie yeah i mean it, <laughs> it it's not a huge logical leap to figure out what that is but yeah okay. it, it's essentially um Nintendo held a, a, a Nindy event, as they called it, uh, shortly before the Switch came out and just kind of started dropping all these games that are going to be coming to Nintendo's platform. Stardew Valley, Shovel Knight, and uh, those are the two that are coming to mind right off the top of my head. But I like 
imagine the strength that Nintendo would have if they were able to secure an independent developer and one of their upcoming games, and let's say that they ha- exclusively had the next Rocket League. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that'd be that, nice. That'd yeah. be, I mean, that'd be good for Nintendo. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, ha- I, I feel like that's a lot of what made Sony as successful as they've been so far, especially in this console generation. And even late in the last console generation, like they, they had some key indie titles that I felt really... When, when there would be a slight drought of, of AAAs, especially during the summer and early earlier in the year before those became more crowded, like Sony continued to keep interest in their console by releasing things like Journey and yeah. uh, Flow Unfinished and Flow, Unfinished Swan. Yeah, like all these different games that that Sony managed to to secure. I I felt like that was really key in in their success. Yeah, for sure. So I I I really think Nintendo's going to double down. They're going to drop a, a big first party title, something like a Pokemon. I I'm I have a I have a thing in my gut that's telling me Pokemon. So that's where I'm going with that. And then do I Do you know I, what kind of Pokemon game it's going to be? Is it going to be like the traditional Pokemon or do you think it's going to be just something that they sometimes do for major console No, releases. I, I I feel like this is going to be a mainline Pokemon game and it may even have some kind of interactivity with the 3DS. I don't know what that is exactly just yet. When do you when do you think the release date's going to be? Because we just had a big mainline Pokemon game released last year. Yeah, and and that's that's the thing that's the big thing because the last one was um, Sun and Moon. Sun and Moon. So I mean, this would be a really great opportunity for, as Pokemon always does, they do that. You know, they release Red and Blue, and then they release like the third one that kind of unifies them. Yeah. Why not that's... take that unifying game and place it on Switch? I mean, that that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that that sounds like fun. Yeah, I I mean, Pokemon brings people back into the fold even when they kind of fall off of Nintendo's console for a period of time. So I I feel like bringing that over to the Switch is just is is a no brainer to me. No, people people do love the Pokemon. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I anticipate seeing out of Nintendo. Um, so my third prediction here, I think Sony's going to fire off the Final Fantasy VII remake date. Like, the actual release date for Final Fantasy VII remake. Man, I think, I think you are praying to the stars. <laughs> I, I do not see that happening. This is a little bit of a dark horse, and the only reason I feel like I might be able to get away with this is... They've already confirmed that the Final Fantasy VII remake is not is going to be an it's going to be an episodic thing, yep. so you're, they're not going to drop one game one sixty dollar price point. That's the whole thing. It, you know they're going to drop Episode One Midgar or whatever that whatever that looks like for Final Fantasy VII remake, and I I, I I've got this feeling in my gut that it's closer than people think it is. What kind of price point do you think the episodes are going to be? Like, what, do you think it's just going to be like the standard like ten to fifteen per game? Like, what do you think? I'm sure they'll do a season pass like they did with Hitman. Okay. Yeah, I mean that's actually a really good point. The Hitman would be a really good kind of business model to to base this the the whole remake off of because they they have said it's episodic that it's not going to be one release so. 
I don't feel like they could justify selling each piece at $60. Like, I just don't think anyone's paying that money for that. Well, I mean, some people will. Let's be real. Someone but... would. Someone <laughs> would. You know. Yeah. I would be hard-pressed not to. I, I do love Final Fantasy VII. Um, but I... They're they're going to try they're they're going to do something that's unorthodox. Whether that be twenty dollar price point, um, sixty dollar price point with a season pass that gets you the rest of it. That's maybe twenty thirty bucks beyond that. Um, they're gonna they're they're gonna do something that is unorthodox and and maybe basing it off of the Hitman uh, season pass and the way that they sold that content would be a really smart way to do that. How did that work out for Square Enix? How does anybody know if Hitman did well? I I can't speak to financially. I, I can't speak to financials. I know that uh, critically it was it was a huge success. Um, I, I'm I'm a frequent listener of the Giant Bombcast. Weird plug for the Giant Bombcast during a, my podcast, but um, I I mean from the day that Hitman released until literally the end of the year, there was a there was almost a weekly update as to what what Hitman was doing, what they had been doing in Hitman, like. No game holds a major, uh, a major video game site's attention quite like Hitman did. That that really surprised me, and I, I I think that bled over to a lot of other fans, and a lot of other people kind of got on board based on what they were seeing from the industry in general. Like everybody was talking about it. So I, I mean yeah. that 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 just seems to me like a like an obvious business model to kind of base it on. Like I mean I know it made money and I know it was successful. I just couldn't tell you to what degree. It's just interesting. It's not a business model I thought would have been viable five years ago. Releasing a major triple uh, A game release episodically. It's yeah. just I mean, inter- interesting I time we just, live in. Yeah, I mean I think they just looked at other models that were working. Like I mean if you look at certain PC games, for example, I mean, they're free to play, but then you have all kinds of different content you can buy. And I mean, they make more money on those games than any other type of just, you know, standard price point games. So or Telltale, um, I mean, S- I think where Square did Life is Strange as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, those that stuff all works. And so I mean, they probably saw those as models and realized like, hey, we can actually get more money from our games than just 60 bucks at, at a pop, you know? Yep. And also, you can't really get those games really on sale as much either. So I mean, they just make more money overall. Which it makes sense if you just have like, if you have twenty bucks to burn and you want to play a game for a weekend, it's like, oh, the new the this Hitman episode is fifteen bucks. Like, pop it down. Like, oh, that was really good. Next paycheck, I'll get the next episode. Like, it makes sense. I mean, it's almost like seeing games on a payment plan. You could almost look at it that way. So, like, yeah. every like fifteen bucks every two weeks, you know, you get a new part of the game to play. I mean, overall, you might spend a little bit more to play it, but at the same time, you play at your own convenience, and you only pay for what you want to uh, play. So, yeah, that's that's been a that's been a hot button, uh, like a trending thing right now in gaming is games as a service. So, getting somebody into it, but then finding ways and reasons to get them to keep keep spending money on your product. I know you you look at something like Overwatch. You know, going back to Blizzard. Overwatch loot boxes, I can't imagine the amount of money that Blizzard has made from selling Overwatch loot boxes. Oh my gosh. Or microtransactions in general. That That's a conversation for a different podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't want to get into that just because I'm a victim of 
those things, but yeah, I mean, oh, my for transactions, sure. they make a they make a lot of money off that, like this in any game. Yeah, but so Final Fantasy VII remake date, um, if if they give a date and it's this year, it's going to be late this year. I imagine if it comes out, it's it's going to be early next year. That that would be my best guess. I'm going to say mid next year. Mid next year. Yeah. Yeah, that, I mean that's that's probably fair. I I feel like they just have the they 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 have the balls to go out there and and, and give a date for Final Fantasy VII remake. I, I Sony has really been been hitting E3, n- knocking it right out of the park the last couple of years. So I I just feel like they've got the they they've got this thing inside of them that they can they feel like they can go out there and say anything. I mean, I actually like kind of go on your like terms when it comes to Sony, like I could actually see them having to like launch date be during E3 almost like I've, they've done that before, like for stuff. So it's possible that something crazy like that could happen, especially if it's going to be based on episode, it's possible. Yeah. And, and that's really the, the big thing that was, that's selling me on this argument is the fact that it's episodic, like release one episode sometime this year, give them six months, nine months to get the next set of content out and then re you know re-release it again like that's something they could easily do so so final fantasy 7 remake date next one my next solid e3 prediction god of war this year yeah i was gonna say that in my list yeah i think i'd be fine with that it's either gonna be this year or it's gonna come out before before this time next year is what I'm going to say. Yeah. My... It, it's coming soon. You don't think they'll take advantage of the Christmas rush? Like, let's say if they don't announce it for this year coming up, you don't think they'll go for the holiday season for the next year after that? You don't think it'd be I... a two-year thing? No, I. March has been March has become, like, a big month for video games. March to May, it, it's a huge month now. It yeah. has been the last couple of years. I'd say since at least Bioshock Infinite. Bioshock Infinite was a big hit in March. And it was it was normally one of those those that dry spell, like a little little dry spell before the summer came along, and the summer's a longer dry spell. But like big games come out beginning of this year. We got Resident Evil in January. We had uh, For Honor was like quote big, like we had Ghost Recon, um, Persona, Mass Effect, Horizon. Like there's been a lot going on this year, and it's not even the end of May. So That's I think true. I think it's going to come out either late late this year or early next year. Yeah, I think I think game developers and publishers are starting to see that you don't have to release during the holiday to find success. I, I, I think it's actually benefiting a lot of these a lot of these games that aren't Call of Duty or Battlefield or uh, you know, when a Grand Theft Auto or something like that comes out. It actually to me I feel like it benefits these developers to say, let's get out of the way of all that nonsense. Mm-hmm. And just release it during first quarter of two thousand of the next year, like Sony. I don't think they've released their big Christmas title during the Christmas season for the past three years or so. No, I think I, it, every I time it's fallen back to the to the next year. Uh, yeah, I don't like. I don't really want to say that Last Guardian was their quote big Christmas title, but that did come out in December. But as far as like what what was Sony's what was Sony's big title they were pushing last year? Uncharted, that came out this time last year. Mm-hmm. 
and, and Horizon was ori- originally supposed to come out before the holiday season, and it came out in February. So yep. And even before that, you go a year back further, you're looking at the Order 1886, which was supposed to come out Christmas of 2014 and ended mm-hmm. up coming out early 2015. Infamous Second Son came out mm-hmm. May, March, I'm sorry. So I mean, it almost seems like a weird trend. Like It seems like maybe developers are just not giving themselves the right type of deadlines or you know time frames to work in, so that ends up games always trickle past the holiday season they shoot for so it's like almost it seems like it's almost an accident but now it's going to be almost on purpose it seems like and it's better for us yeah yeah i mean spacing those games out just gives consumers a little more leeway when it comes to when these games you're not just getting beat over the head over the course of two months and and like i say that and i've literally bought (laughs) seven full you know full releases over the past three months so it's kind of hard for me to say they're not doing it all at one time because it's still hitting just there's a lot coming out right now yeah i i I, i've developed a backlog of games because not only are have they released a a ton of good games lately but it's been a ton of long good games yeah you know again horizon near mass effect persona legend of zelda breath of the wild um Ghost Recon. I mean, the the list is is exhaustive, mm-hmm. and and none of these are single player, twelve hour, one and done kind of games. Like these are massive, sprawling games. I mean, I I'm I'm on hour sixty of Persona right now, and nice. I'm not even close to done. <laughs> well, you got some, you got some time to get caught up until uh, I think the next the next big release I'm personally excited about is uh, Shadow of War. So, which is what August. Yeah, end of August. Yeah, so I mean, there there is a nice little gap now, but it, it's it, it's I, I I feel like there's six solid months now that games are coming out rather than three. So that that would be I can see God of War this holiday season or first quarter of next of, of next year. Like that that to me is 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 what they'll is where they'll hit that. So my final prediction, um, EA. EA is going to be showing off sports games. <laughs> well, of course they're going to be showing off sports games. It's EA. There's going to be some awkward presentation with a sports legend that no like is cool, but nobody really cares about. <laughs> I, I I mean I I'm I'm sorry. Pele is 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 awesome. That's a cool thing. Did not work at, at that E3. So, um, EA is is going to show off the. A large breadth of Star Wars games this year. Yeah, I mean, we already know that we're getting uh, Battlefront Two. They're going to show off yep. a whole bunch oh, of Battlefront Two. That's that's a that is a home a home run guess. Um, but we have two other Star Wars games that have that are in development that we don't know a lot about. The one by Visceral. Yep, there's the one by Visceral that's being written by Amy Hennig. Yep, and. Oh, what was that third one? Is, is this another Bioware game? No, it wasn't a Bioware game. See, now is, it, it... is Respawn doing it? Yes, yes, that you're, you're exactly right. Respawn was working on something, but they they didn't have anything to say about it. So there there's Battlefront, there's the game from Respawn, and there's the game from uh, Visceral. I think Ooh. I think we're gonna get like like concrete 
visceral like, gameplay. Visceral gameplay. They may hold off on the respawn, but tease it. Yeah, I'm sure that's because if it's because respawn just finished up Titanfall two. So yeah, so I mean, they, I, I'm sure they've only been in production since because Titanfall was was that late last year. Yeah, late October. Yeah, late October. So I mean, they're they're probably. I'm sure they were in pre-production shortly before that, so I, I I doubt they have a game ready for this year. But I'll bet you they could put together some kind of uh, teaser Con- or something to kind of Con- show some concept art. Yeah, exactly. Like just a proof of concept of what they're doing. So I think we're gonna I think we're gonna get something real solid from Visceral. We're gonna get a reiteration of why you should go out and buy Battlefront Two, which I'm sure they're gonna show off the story mode. Which thank you story mode. <laughs> Actually yeah. looks really interesting. I, I'm excited about the the storyline that they've kind of built up for that. Yeah, they don't need they don't need to sell me too hard on that one. No, it, what one thing that the only thing that irked me on that is they they have this really cool idea about you're playing a female pilot from the Imperial side, starting with the destruction of the Death Star. Like, what a cool yes. concept! Because when you watch Return of the Jedi, you see Death Star gets destroyed. Luke escapes, which spoiler alert, I guess from <laughs> the early '80s, but yep. Um, yeah, Luke escapes, and then the Ewoks have a party, and that's the end of the game. And that's the yeah. End. You, get, you get your Return of the Jedi ending. Yeah, so I, I I feel like they have a great opportunity to expand on that and show what happened in between. But they started talking about how there's going to be sections where you play as the heroes, and I almost don't want that. No, I yeah, I'm kind of. I'm kind of in that camp as well. Like Star Wars, I I, I love Star Wars to death, but I, I I see them relying even and not to get too far off topic again, but they they rely too much on the established characters and are are, are almost afraid to to tell different stories to take risks. Yeah, like like the the side stories we're getting from the movies come upcoming are the Han Solo movie and the Boba Fett movie. We don't no, no. And I'm like Boba I, Fett hasn't been announced. Oh, well, he hasn't been announced, yeah. <laughs> it, it's just like like I I want to see original stories like that's what was the that game they were really they were going to release. They even showed off a trailer. It was like Star Wars 1313. 1313, yes. That, that was going to be, was... be Boba Fett though. Was it Boba Fett? No, I thought they were. No, no, no. That that was a placeholder character. After the game got canceled, it was revealed that that placeholder character was supposed to, was going to be Boba Fett. Oh well, that would have been terrible, and I would have hated it. <laughs> but like the the from the trailer that we saw, where it was the placeholder character, I guess if you want to say that, you you had the placeholder character, and it had nothing to do with Jedi's, and it had nothing to do with like the. It was all just like the CD underground. Like it is. It is so. a. It is a story that is set in the Star Wars universe. That that's what I want to see, and that's what I was hoping that the Battlefront Two storyline was going to lean into a little bit more. But maybe that's what the visceral thing will kind of fill that that hole. For yeah, me. which I mean, this is this is a conversation I would love to have on a different podcast. I mean, because I just I just wrote our first art. My first article was about my grievances with Rogue One and I you brought up some points that I had grievances with with the article. I won't I won't delve into much into it because I would like you to go read it. But no, this is something I would like to talk about in a future episode about Star yeah. Wars Star Wars reliance on pre established things. It's like it's almost like they can't escape 
what's already been established because like I said in the article, Rogue One was essentially like I felt like I was like thrown in the face with, Hey, do you remember this? This was cool forty years ago. It's still cool now. You remember this, right? Yeah. I'm like, Yeah. That's 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 pretty much how I felt the whole movie and I I think Star Wars is having a hard time moving away from that. Even with The Force Awakens, they're still having a hard time moving away from that because they still have the First Order still uses TIE Fighters. They still use Stormtroopers. The Millennium Falcon's still in it. It's just... Yeah. But this this is a conversation for I, another time. We're, I, still, I, we're talking about E3. So. Yeah, I, I was going to say, that is a conversation for another time. I, I, I think I think that's going to... We're, we're going to have to get into that at some point. But... Yeah, so so three new Star Wars games. That that those were my five predictions for E three this year. Um, I know I probably touched on some of you guys's, but did you have anything to expand upon? Uh, I guess I guess I'll go. Yeah. Um, like you said with God of War, I do agree. I think we're going to get that soon. Um, I I want to talk about how impressed I was with the trailer last year. With of God of War, God, God, of War. God, of, God of War was a complete surprise to me. I was kind of hoping, I was, I was kind of suspecting that we were going to get a God of War, but I was just, I was just completely blown away with what we got. It was like I was, I was joking with you guys last year while we were watching E3, like who put The Last of Us in my God of War and why do I like it so much? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was very subdued and nuanced, and it looked beautiful. And I'm, I'm really excited to play the new God of War whenever it comes out. Yeah, and, and that moment, like that, is the moment of E three for me. That that was the moment was when Kratos walked out of out of the shadows, mm-hmm. like that superseded anything else I had seen, anything I would see. It, it was even better than than Snoop Dogg smoking marijuana at the e, <laughs> at the e, EA event. Like that oh was the thing that, that is the most memorable to me. Was it was because. And again, not I'm not going to go off on a huge tangent here, but Kratos historically to me has been an awful character. And then, yeah, we we've made we've made fun of him plenty of oh times. Oh my god! Together, <laughs> but to see to see him come out and start to be Kratos, but then pull it back. Yeah, with his son, that that was awesome. Even even in that one moment where he started to get angry with his son, he just kind of took a deep breath and was like. That was that was that was awesome. I liked that. That, a lot. that showed me everything I needed to see about what that God of War is going to be. That 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 might be one of my most anticipated games going forward at this point. Yeah, I'm starting to think that you might play as his son. I, for a good chunk of that game, yeah, maybe mm-hmm. in like a Joel and Ellie kind of situation from The Last of Us. So yeah, I'm really excited about that game. Yeah. Oh, as far as prediction, I don't. I think Microsoft's gonna. New Halo coming out next year, yep. early next year. I think Not that's to... probably a safe bet, like a big Scorpio reveal yep. kind of thing. Yep, big Scorpio Halo. It's going to run better on Scorpio. And I think they, they said that um, Master Chief is going to be the main focus again after the complaints from Halo 5. Which is just so disappointing to hear. But <laughs> I we can get, we can also get into Halo <laughs> and the disappointment in that. We have so many future topics are coming up. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's... I'm just going to count that as two. That's so, fair. it doesn't have what? to be five. Oh. Don't get me wrong. Like, if no, you... <laughs> no, yeah, you told us earlier. Yeah, I don't know. Microsoft's been super underwhelming lately, and I don't want to sound like I'm a Sony fanboy by any more. Like Microsoft's kind of what got me into gaming in the first place, and it's 
it's just disappointing to see their their lack of first party titles because if, if Microsoft had something that like I that was genuinely good first party wise, I would go out and buy an Xbox One. But like you said earlier this year, like what has Microsoft given me that my PlayStation can't like I can't play Horizon on an Xbox One. Yeah. And, like the the pirate game looks good, but like when's that coming out? Like and like like you said, Gears of War is not your thing. Like it's not really my thing either, but if it looked like a decent game, like I would go out and get it. I'm not into Halo anymore. I don't care about Forza. Like I, what, what does Microsoft have to offer me? I mean, even when you talk about Gears of War, the thing is, like, they made it accessible on PC, so, like, I don't even need to buy an Xbox One to play yep, it. I can, just, I can literally just play it on my, you know, gaming PC, so I don't need to invest into their ecosystem if I don't want to. And that well, sends me right back to their mixed messaging. Buy an Xbox One, but you really don't need one, but then you can buy the Xbox One S and then Scorpio next. It's just... Like what, what are you trying to do? My my Xbox is sitting here, and I would love to play it. It's just there's nothing that's grabbing me. You know, the majority mm-hmm. of my online friends are playing on PlayStation or PC, so I play there. I, I own an Xbox One for their for their exclusive content, and it's just there's not enough there. Well, you had uh, you had Rise of the Tomb Raider timed exclusive for about a year, yeah. So. And there's that. And and I bought it when it came out for Xbox One and played it because it was great. But, yeah. you know, it, with a little more patience, I could have just bought it on PS4, I guess. But So you had uh, Halo and then... I think we're going to see Spider-Man. I think we're going to see more of that Spider-Man game from... Uh, who's making that? Insomniac? Insomniac. I think we're going to see some more spider yeah. I think... I would love it if the game was just like surprise drop right before the movie came out, but I know that's not how gaming works because no. <laughs> there's there's leaks all the time. Yeah. But I think we're going to see Spider-Man this year. If they can if they can if if the E3 that we're setting up in our heads right now actually happens, Sony's going to have more AAA titles than they know what to do with this holiday season. <laughs> and and back and back to what I said just before like Sony is going to have an exclusive Spider-Man game made by, I would argue, one of the best developers in the industry right now. Yeah, Insomniac. Everything, like, I don't remember the last Insomniac game that I played where I was like, meh. And they're, like, even even if you don't like the games, like, they're, they're still really well made and they're still a lot of fun. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, I think I think we're gonna get a Spider-Man release date this year, and I think I think Sony's gonna do really well at E3 again this year. They've been they've been knocking it out of the park since 2013. I agree with that. When uh when Microsoft kind of like dropped the ball on the whole mixed messaging with the Xbox One and mm-hmm. all that all that fiasco and controversy, they've been really knocking it out of the park. And I think this year is gonna be just another continuation of that. And I think Microsoft's gonna have a very Meh, showing. I'm glad that Microsoft has finally started to sh- to move more towards the Xbox One is for games, not not like it was when it first came out. It was like, yeah, the Xbox One can do all this other really cool stuff, and it also plays games. Like that's not if I want it, if I want other stuff that can do all these things, let's buy that. Yeah. No, I, I'm I'm totally with you on that one. So what about you, Joe? Any any big predictions for this year's? Um, 
I guess I, I guess I'll just make it quick since you know we I think we all kind of touched on the same points a little bit, but mm-hmm. I think uh, virtual reality is going to be uh, kind of a front focus again. I think it's going to be trying to get people more into it, and also I think you're going to see kind of a rise of PC gaming becoming more in your living room. So they're going to be emphasizing on ways to get a gaming PC in a small containment of a console like right next to your TV. Like that's what they're looking for because, you know, they need to get into the console game in a way and find a way to fight back PlayStation and, you know, Xbox One and find a way to get into, you know, consumers' hands because I think that's at the end of the day it's all about accessibility and price ranges and, you know, gaming PC sometimes looks kind of hard to get into and also VR, but they're going to find ways to uh, get you more in tune with uh, new products out there. Yeah, no, that that's that's a really great point, Joe. Like when when it comes to accessibility with gaming PCs, I have that conversation so often about you can go out and get a great gaming PC. Why would you ever buy a console? And it's like the ease. Uh, when when I know I want to play a video game, I, I I turn on my PlayStation, throw the game in, or I download it and I just click the button and it goes. When it comes to when it comes to PCs, and as much as I do love PCs and and playing games on PC, there's there's a, there's so many more steps that go into it, and it's 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 so much more constrained um, when it comes to do you have the right drivers installed, and and not to just constantly harp on things that PCs do, but for the person who doesn't know anything about PCs, you know, I I used to work at a Best Buy, like you you have people coming in that don't have a clue about what any of the things mean, and you have to learn what graphics card is good, what is a good processor, what's a good way to cool it. Like, you have to think about these things when you're building a gaming PC, and that's not something you have to worry about with consoles. And and I, I think for PC gaming to make a bigger splash and take a bigger chunk of that pie, accessibility is going to be really a, a huge role. And I, I, I think VR can can drive that, like you say. Because VR really is best. As much as I like the PlayStation VR... I mean, the Vive and the Oculus Rift are are better pieces of technology overall. Yeah, for sure. And I, I agree with that. And I mean, the thing is, too, like, I've actually, I had a chance to buy, like, an Asus, like, a smaller PC. And the thing is, like, they make them just as powerful as, you know, building your own for a thousand bucks. Because the thing is, prices have gone um, to a point where you can buy a pre-built machine that's compact. At the same price as building your own now and so you can actually get the same power and also have the same type of like aesthetic in your living room and also have a power vr whereas you know xbox one obviously doesn't have it yet and then ps4 is its own kind of thing but it's not the same so yeah no i'm totally with you on that one and then i guess um, i'll just go to my next prediction i think there's going to be um maybe more focus on peripherals in some aspects i think i know Esports is becoming bigger, and so I could see a lot more companies bringing out like more products to you know go after that. Uh, I guess a key demographic. I mean, you know, yeah. I'm a sucker for it. At least I buy a keyboard probably once a year, and a mouse once a year, and a new headset once a year. So I can see new peripherals being launched for you know certain types of games, or just kind of catering towards that. And there's a lot of marketing towards new games that might be coming out. You know, either in PC or even for console games you know, new type of devices to be able to interact with your systems. Yeah, and, and that that's a really good, that's an, another great point. When it comes, 
I just read something the other day. I think it was at GamesIndustry.biz um, about how the esports scene is actually getting big enough that at the 2022 Olympics, I want to say in Asia, there's going to be medal events for esports. Yep. So like it. I, mean, it, I read that. I, I mean, this is esports is is really coming into its own and and, and becoming a global phenomenon. by leaps and bounds so when you talk about um computer accessories like keyboards and and mice and headsets like that's no different in a lot of ways i mean a you want to have the bleeding edge tech that's going to give you the best advantage but on top of that there's also like a little bit of status along with that there's a little bit of uh accessorizing your computer you know, just from just from a straight up fashion standpoint, like, hey, you know, I, I think this looks good. I, I, I want to look good as I'm playing games or whatever that may be. So I, I think that's I I think you're going to see a lot of money going into the games industry from that aspect going forward. I mean, it's also a very easy uh, entry point for companies to get into when it comes to reaching like a gaming demographic is going in the peripherals. So. I mean, that's. I just think we're going to see a lot more of that in, in the coming years too, especially when there's been reports of, you know, PC gaming's been booming, like Micro Center, like which is a top provider of like gaming PCs. They've seen increases in sales ever since. You know, esports has become a thing at least here in the United States. I mean, it's been a thing in Europe for a while, but it's finally coming here, and you know, they're seeing upticks in sales when it comes to that. No, that's that that's great, and that that's the same kind of diversity. I, like when I was talking earlier about, um, it's great seeing board games becoming a bigger thing and X Wing becoming a bigger thing. Just having those avenues and those people that are are forming these 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 groups to to really drive all of these different n- niches is, is just it, the more people that are getting into it and have a home and a community to call their their own is, is just great for the industry in general. Yeah, for sure. And I guess um, uh, when it comes to like maybe a third prediction, I guess I'll, I'll just say this right now. I just don't think Microsoft's presentation is going to be that great. I guess that's I'll just make it that general. I just don't <laughs> think it's going to be that exciting. But no. we'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm going to have to agree with you on that. I, I think from a tech head perspective, it's going to be really interesting. But I, I think at the end of the day, it's going to be like, look at our shiny piece of hardware that plays the same games you can get on other consoles yeah and then again i just think they just they just need to figure out what they want to do because i just feel like they're just scattered everywhere because i mean they see all these uh new things and shiny things out there but they just don't know what they want to do and they just need to find a centralized uh um, message i guess and so hopefully they'll find that one day they had it with the 360 well, yeah, they did. They really did. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's what's crazy about it is, I mean, Microsoft's Xbox 360 was the thing. It wasn't yeah. until really late in the console life cycle of the 360 and the PS3 the that PS3 Sony started. Game. Yeah, that Sony actually kind of caught up. You, you know, Sony played second fiddle to the Xbox 360 for so long. And it just feels like whatever momentum that Microsoft had or whatever whatever special sauce that they had just, just didn't translate and, and they lost it and they just never found a way to get that back. 
2013, man. They lost it at that conference at E3 2013. That's I, that's definitely a turning point when when that was the most tone deaf that Microsoft has ever been. The the always online debacle, the oh. whole the whole thing with that guy on Twitter who was like hashtag deal with it, like yeah, every like everything about that marketing and just. Sony capitalized on it like a wounded animal. Like they just pounced on that and were like, you know, I remember that this is how you, you know, bar you have your friends borrow your game. Like oh, they that. just <laughs> they just hit that home. It's just like that, I mean, has Microsoft even hit that promise yet? Like where you could technically share games online? Like I thought there was something that they were thinking about doing. No, like they that. threw that out. Yeah, I mean you know, and then blamed that. it on the fact that we all whined about it, which again just goes back to, well, you know, if you would have just went with this th- design concept that we had from the beginning, then we would have been able to give you online sharing. And it's like, okay, so you're saying it's our fault that you're not doing this now. So great. Although I, I mean, will, I will say that I am glad that Microsoft has finally just completely abandoned ship on the Connect. Like the Connect is like dead in the water. The sharks don't even want to eat that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was probably a smart move on them. And again, honestly, like the whole online only thing, I don't think that's a big deal because if you think about it, like PlayStation 4, you pretty much can't do anything unless you're online. No. So I mean it's not even it's it's a it's already a reality. It's just like they should just not have emphasized it, it so much. No, it was just the messaging, the way the way yeah, it came it, it came off it rather pretentious. And was the the way I I took it was like, well, why are you even playing our games if you're if you're not online in any ways? Like, why do you <laughs> why do you even play? That, that's the way I took it, and I think that's yeah. the way a lot of people took it. It came yeah. off really pretentious and elitist, and that's not what you want to do when you're trying to get customers. Which, well, I mean, like you like you said, Joe, like there's been times when my internet goes out, and it's just like, well, like what what the hell do I have this PlayStation for if I can't be online? Yeah, it was. It's that. It's that kind of like West Coast elitism where it's like, oh well, you don't have. Oh boy, I think the cops are coming for us. Yeah, it's like coming for someone. Dude, I think you just got swatted. <laughs> Battery, batteries fully charged. <laughs> episode one, that, the last that's episode. A, that's on my end. No, that's what that, was it. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Oh I man, someone call it a Wii U. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyways, back back to the point. Y- yeah. Uh, God, where was I even going with this now? West Coast. Yeah, it's that kind of West Coast elitism. Well, who doesn't have the internet anymore? And it's like actually yeah. a pretty good number of people in Middle America don't. It's not as it's not as cut and paste as you think. Or then you you look at people who are younger kids and their parents don't want to be on the internet. It's like just they created a problem and then didn't have a way to solve it. Which yeah. I- I'm sure Sony was kind of was kind of going to go towards the like online only route along with Microsoft, but they, <laughs> they but they saw how bad it went for them, so they're just like course correction, capitalize. Yeah, well, they I'm... capitalized it, and then they just gradually went made it so that your system had to be online only almost. So yep. I mean, that's what they did. And and also, not only that, but Sony's had a steady stream of really good exclusives mm-hmm. you know, have come out from the first and second parties i mean that's that's really mm-hmm. that's really the clutch right there is they not only do they do they have a good a well-groomed group of studios under their umbrella but sony just seems to somebody at sony has an eye for picking out developers and getting them to make games for the playstation it's just 
like Nier Automata or Neo, the, these are key games from this year that Sony doesn't own these studios. Just, you know, this could have these could have very easily have been third party games that came out to both consoles. And Sony just had the eye, and they very rarely miss with that. I mean, you, the only time I can think of where Sony really bungled up having that a key exclusive was with Dark Souls. The only reason that Dark Souls even became a thing is because Demon Souls, Sony refused to publish it in the U.S., and then Atlas took it over. So From Software says, well, yep. then we're going to make a new game, and it's called Dark Souls instead of Demon Souls, and it's the same thing. And now look at what Dark Souls is. It's a whole subgenre. Yeah, so, I mean, hey, but at least they got Bloodborne. They and and they, you know, you're you're not wrong. They did get Bloodborne out of it. Did you have any other predictions, Joe? Or uh, I think I'm pretty good on that front. <laughs> okay, no, that's 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 totally yeah. fair. I think I think now that Joe is done with his predictions, and I think we're all done. I think uh, it's time to wrap up this uh, first episode. Cool. Well, it. it... It, it it was it went longer than we anticipated, didn't it? Yeah, it, it did yeah. go a little bit longer, but that's okay. That's I okay. guess it's our first one, so you yeah. know we'll we'll get we'll we're on a tighter ship next time. Who knows? Or maybe we'll just keep doing it this way. I don't know. I I yeah. I, I kind of don't want to stop talking, but at some point we kind of have to turn it off, don't we? <laughs> at some point, yeah. yes, we do. Yeah. How, how many conversations did we shut off? Because it's like this is going to spin out of control if we keep if we let it keep going. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I see you. No, it was a good time though. Um, it was nice to just chat, chat with you guys about nerd stuff. Absolutely. So this is a weekly thing, Matt. Uh, I don't want to like, I don't want to commit. I would like to make it a weekly thing, but we can uh, we can converge off, off the record and talk about that. Okay. Well, yeah. Let's. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll take care of that at a different time. That's <laughs> that's behind the scenes. But um, Brent, would you like to tell our dear listeners where they can find us on the interwebs? Absolutely. Uh, you can find me at uh, Always Uber Brent on Twitter. Uh, you can find Matt at, I believe. It's just Matt Corser. Okay, Matt Corser. At Matt Corser on Twitter. Uh, Joseph is Bring the Soul, B R I N G T H E S O L. Bring the Soul on Twitter. Uh, and you can find all of us at batteriesfullycharged.com. Make sure you follow BF Charged at, on Twitter so you can see all the news articles we're putting up as well as podcasts and videos once I start getting those up. Um, features and editorials Yeah, features and editorials every week. Um, we're hoping to start putting them out. This week's going to be an exception. We're going to have a whole bunch of stuff this week because it's kind of our launch week. Uh, we, have our, we have our editor-in-chief going on his honeymoon. Yeah, yeah, I know. What a great what a great week to launch where our editor in chief is yeah. going to be away. That's right. Though. <laughs> <laughs> that's right though. That's that's not bad. That's amazing not amazing timing. We're really good at that. Yeah, you, you can tell we have this ship just 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 right on course exactly that's like we why, want. That's why we have a first mate. So that way when the captain's <laughs> gone, we can still keep the ship afloat. <laughs> this analogy is just is just getting blown right off course. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Anyways, yeah. Uh, thank you all for listening. Matt, if you want to play us off here. All right. Thank you for listening to the first episode of the Fully Charged Cast. Have a good day. All right. See you later. Bye now. <laughs>